If you have your Bibles, let's look at 2 Peter, continuing to move through uh, this text of, of God by His grace that He's, he's, he's given us. We've been looking, uh, just as you're, as you're catching up, we've been looking at uh, how believers are supposed to really respond to salvation. How do we respond to the great things that God has done? If God has uh, given us faith, if he's gifted us everything we need for life and godliness, if he's given us his precious and very great promises, allowing us to escape from this corrupt world with the sinful desires, if he's done all of that, what should we do? And and Peter says in response to that, what we should do starting in verse 5 is we should take up these tools that God has given us. If he's given us everything we need, there, there are certain qualities, certain characteristics, certain fruits that are a part of our lives because of God's salvation that we need to get those things to work and, and to do so to speedily, to, to hastily, to, to make every effort, I think the, the ESV says. And, and that's going to be an important thing to remember coming up, that idea, do it speedily, hastily, uh, every effort. And, and then we walk through this list of qualities, uh, excellence, uh, knowledge, discipline, faithful endurance, godwardness, uh, family affection, a family love. For each other and then love uh, to end it. Uh, in fact, last week we saw this list is so important that if we're God's children, these things, he says, will be in our life. And they will not just be in our life, they'll be what? Increasing. That, the, that, uh, that a, a knowledge of God that, that doesn't have these things is a fruitless, a worthless knowledge. Ineffective, unemployed. It's an unemployed knowledge. A, a, as James would say, it is, it, was a, it is a useless, a dead faith. So that was, we said there's a positive and a negative moving in verses 8 and 9 uh, and then 10 and 11. That was the negative in 8 and 9. If you don't, you know, why is this list so important? Because if these things aren't in your life and aren't increasing, not even just if they're not in your life, but if you don't have these things and they're not increasing, then, then your life is not fruitful. <laughs> uh, these things keep you from being unfruitful, keep you from being ineffective. But now we're on to the positive. So if you, if you have those, you've got this worthless faith, this, this worthless knowledge of God. You, you, this keeps your knowledge of God from being ineffective and, and unfruitful. Now we're going to be on the positive side. What does it mean if you do see these things? Which, as we're going to see, Peter's expecting that his readers will see these things. Very similar to, to, to John in 1 John. Peter's writing these things. It's a warning, but it's a warning he expects them to be able to take. Uh, and so let's look. Let's read 2 Peter. We'll read verses uh, 8 through 15. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. This word that we cherish so much, that we love so much. We want to make sure that we are uh, in, indeed uh, honoring it, not just with our bodies by standing, but uh, humbly uh, taking it with our hearts uh, as well. Our plan today, our desire today is to get through verses 10 through 15. Uh, which means we'll probably get halfway through verse 10, uh, but our desire is to do them all. Let's read, though, this whole section starting in 8 about this list. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these, uh, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in this way, there will be provide, richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as, the, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Father, you have given us these things, this list, and then you're talking about the importance of these qualities, these fruits in our life, uh, encouraging us to hastily, speedily get these things, uh, to make every effort to pursue these things. Father, I pray you'd give us a fervor for obedience, that we would not be a people who proclaim your word as holy, but then slowly seek to obey it, uh, but that there would be an impassioned obedience from us as we've looked now for weeks even uh, at these things. Uh, Father, may you uh, and your spirit burn a mighty fire in our hearts for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so if we looked at sort of a worthless knowledge last week, this week we're going to look at a fruitful knowledge or a fruitful faith. If, if you don't have these things, your knowledge is worthless, it is dead, uh, it is ineffective, it is unfruitful, it's the branch that's lopped off and thrown into the fire. But if you do see these things growing in your life, what is that going to mean? If you don't have these things, he says you probably don't know God. Remember we saw that last week. It is, you are, you are so blind you even forgot even the purpose of salvation to cleanse you from your sins so if you don't have these things you probably don't know god but if you do see these things in your life he said if you see these things in there increasing we're going to see that he says it confirms that your salvation is real and that's going to be the positive that we're going to see this week that if you don't have these things you must not know god but if you do have these things you do see these things and they are increasing you do see these signs of God at work in you then your knowledge must be real you must actually and the and that should just be crazy to you you must actually genuinely have been saved by the eternal God of the universe uh, it's going to be a really encouraging thing for the believers that Peter's going to talk about so let's see how Peter says this how he teaches this. first thing he says is therefore brothers in light of all that I've just said, verse 8, 9, and whatever, he says, be all the more diligent. And now that's the, the same word that we pointed out started verse 5. Remember verse 5 uh, where it says, make every effort. We said that's the word that means speedily. It's where we get the word speed. It's the Greek word that we turn into the word speed. Uh, it's to do something quickly, with haste, to really pursue it. To Like the ESV says, make every effort. Well, in verse 5, Peter says, if God has done this, if God has saved you, if God's done all this great stuff, then we should make every effort to respond to that with uh, these things from this list. And so that's the start of then listing out those things. Well, now here, after verse 8 and 9, or maybe really because of verse 8 and 9, he says the same thing. He again uses the word make every effort, but he adds a word to it. What word does he add? More. 
<laughs> he adds the word more. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Uh, make, you, you thought you were going speedily because of what God has done. Now when you take what God has done, in light of the fact of what it means if you don't have these things, you should even more urgently be seeking to see these things in your life. Be more, you should be more impassioned to look at that list and say, God, do I see these? Do I see them growing? And to be beseeching God. God, grow these things in me. If you tell me, like we saw last week in John 17, that you're the one who, who grows, John 15, that grows these things in our lives and prunes us so that these things grow more and are ever increasing. And God, if these things are that important, if your fruit, if the fruit of your salvation are that important, you should even more speedily, more quickly, more hastily be going to the Lord to seek these things, to use these things, to get these fruits growing in your life. If, if all these things are true, there's no reason for you to be a lazy farmer. No reason for you to see this list and be complacent. So if you think back to your own life and you've seen this list, we've looked at this list for months, and you go, I don't really ever think about this list until Sunday. And then Sunday comes around and I go, are we doing that list again? This should be, oh, this is the list I've been thinking about now every day, praying about every day. Give me more so that I can have this list every day because this list is that important. These things, these qualities, these fruits are so important and they mean so much that why would I not care if I see them? Because if these things he says aren't there, we saw last week, he says, you have no assurance that you've been saved. So so speedily, diligently. Get to work on these things. Get these things to work. However you translate it, the text is clear. There's no reason for the Christian to be satisfied with a life that isn't bearing Godward Christian fruit. No reason. If your life is not bearing fruit and increasing in fruit, there's no reason for you to be okay with that. Because that either means you aren't cherishing your salvation. The first reason he said we should get to work in verse 5, if God has done all these things, make every effort. Either that's not enough. Either it's not enough that God has saved you and redeemed you, that he's given you everything you need. That's not enough for you to get these things to work in your life. You're still undisciplined. You still aren't pursuing to know him more and more. Or you've become, these things aren't increasing. You're, not, you're satisfied with where you're at in those things. I think I've gotten enough to get into heaven. I'm good. Either salvation is not amazing enough to you to get these things really just blossoming in your heart, Or it just means you don't know God. And that's why you don't care. Neither one of those should be okay for you, right? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're not going to be satisfied with going, yeah, maybe I don't care about my salvation as much as I should. Huh, that's interesting. And whoever you are, you should definitely shouldn't be okay with, maybe this means I don't know God at all. Hmm. Like, no, only a fool would hear those things and go, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. So the, the response, if you see this, Peter says, so get to work. Get to be even more diligent to get these things in your life. Because not only is it showing whether or not you love salvation and, and, and are living in light of what God has done, it shows whether or not you even know God. And what is the value of seeing these things at work in your life? Do, do, these, do, these qualities, do these qualities save you? Is that what this is? Do these qualities need to be in your life? And if you have these things, then you'll be saved. No. 
but we're going to see they do confirm to you that you have been saved. And that's what we see. Look at how Peter says it. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to have these things. Why? To confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. These things confirm your faith. They confirm your salvation. They don't save you, right? You're not saved because you're excellent. You're not saved because you've got knowledge. You're not saved because you've, you know, been been faithful. You're not saved because of these things. You're not saved because you're a loving person. These things confirm their fruits that show you have indeed been saved. That word there, confirm, is another Greek word that we still use. The Greek word there is basis, where we, we still use the word basis. This is the, you could, you could put that there for you, it, it, to give you the basis for your calling and election. It, it's where we get the word basis. It's also where we get the word base. These fruits are the, the base. Literally, the word comes from uh, the word that means to walk, a place to put your foot, a place to stand. So these fruits, the idea is that these fruits give you a sure footing for what you believe about yourself. You call yourself a Christian? How do you know? How can you be sure? How can you be sure that you're not trusting in something that isn't real? What's going to give you a sure footing for your faith, what's going to confirm to you that you're indeed saved? He said, these fruits give you a place to put your foot. So as you're walking through life and you're saying, I, I am, I have been called. I am elect. I have been saved. How do you know? How can you put your foot down with any, with any sort of confidence that everything's not going to fall underneath you? To steal from Jesus' example, how do you know that you're trusting in something that is a rock and not sand? He says, the way you know is these things that work in your life, they confirm to you your calling and election. They confirm to you that God has indeed chosen you, that God has indeed saved you, that he has called you. How do you know you're really saved? He says, seeing these things in your life gives you a solid footing for the assurance of your salvation. Now, this, this, is not a, this is not a works-based salvation here. What this is, is it's a salvation that works. As, as Paul Washer said, he said, God does not justify and then abandon. He has not demonstrated his power to save us from sin's penalty, only to then demonstrate his impotence to save us from sin's power. Like we saw multiple times last week, when God saves, the life of his sheep is changed. Specifically, what happens is they bear fruit and then he prunes them so that they bear more and more fruit. So that's why Peter can say, if you're seeing these things and they're increasing, that means that God has given you life and then is pruning that branch so that it bears more fruit. So you can be sure if you see these things in your life, you know, God doesn't just save you and let you go. He saves his people, not just from the presence and penalty of sin. He saves them from the power of sin so that they walk in godliness. So if you're walking in godly things, if you're walking to steal the word we used, if you're walking in a Godward way, that's not how you used to walk, right? And when you read Ephesians 2, like we mentioned, we were following whom? 
the prince of the power of the air, the one who's still at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once walked, right? That's what we were doing. So if we're now walking Godward, and so how do we know we're, we're Godward? How do we know we've been saved? These fruits are springing up in our lives. That gives us assurance. That gives me the firm footing. So when you're looking back at your life, that's what you look for. If, if these things uh, show that you are truly a Christian, then what? You'll want these things in your life. People always ask us about assurance of faith. You know, they come, I mean, anytime, anytime a believer struggles with sin, it doesn't, and as a pastor, let me tell you, you'll probably feel like you're the only one who's ever done this. You're not. Everyone who ever talks to me about the sin they're struggling with, the first question is, am I really a Christian? Right? Why? Because I did this. How can I know? How can I know? Maybe I'm not. How can you have that assurance? How do I know that I've been saved? How do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if God's called me to salvation? And just like we saw last week, the Bible's answer is never, well, and, and I never give him this. And you can, you can stand up and go, he's telling the truth. He never told me this once. <laughs> and you'll be like, he never told me that either. You know what the Bible never says? And, and, I ne- and we, Zach and I, n- neither one ever go, well, you want to know if you're a Christian? Well, did you, did you ever pray a prayer? You ever pray a prayer, you know, one time to, to ask to be saved? Did you, ever, did you ever pray that? Did you get, did, we don't ever go, did you, well, have you been baptized? We don't say, well, I mean, are you a member of a church? Like someone comes to my house, which happens way too much. Uh, and they come to my house and I don't know them and they just want to talk about God or whatever. And they want to know uh, how they're a Christian. Or if you go and talk to them and you say, hey, you know, do you know Christ? And they're like, well, I am a member. And I want to go, well, apparently one that hasn't read much of the Bible. You know what you don't ask? Wait, 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 was there fruit at one time in your life back somewhere? Can you think of anything that you ever did for God? Let's rest in that. It's like, be like trusting in this rotten apple, you know, that you picked 30 years ago. And you're like, look at that apple. And he's like, I'm not eating that apple. Remember, we bought a bag of apples from Walmart the other day. One of them had a soft spot. One of them. My kids were like, I'm not eating those. I mean, one of them had a spot where I probably dropped it on the way into the house. And my kids were like, I've seen Snow White. Those are all poison. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not eating that. And yet we have people who have borne fruit once when they were eight at a VBS. Or who went to a church camp one time and cried because the adults were crying. Which is just scary to kids, right? Just in general. They were at least afraid. Why are the adults crying? Uh, and so they've got to be a Christian because they did that back then. Never once does scripture talk about that. But unfortunately, that's what we often ask people. Have you, have you asked Jesus into your heart? That's never a question that the Bible asks. Or when people are wanting to know if they're assured, that's, the Bible never goes to those things. And, and it's totally unhelpful. And Not only is it not biblical, it's the exact opposite of what we hear. Because what does it say? The Bible specifically, repeatedly, not just here, but it says, how do you know if you're saved? Look at your life. Are you alive? Is your heart alive for God? Do you see fruit? And that's what Peter says here. If these things, if these fruits, if these these traits are in your life, then that's evidence that you've been saved. Because these things can't grow in the heart that hasn't been saved. 
that hasn't been called, that hasn't been elected, that, that hasn't been redeemed. They can't grow there. So if they're growing there and you can't grow them yourself, then you're like, well, how'd this get there? I can't put it there. There's no way it could be there on its own. Those only get there by God and he puts them there in his children whom he calls. Well, then what must that mean? I can now have a solid footing. I must be saved. Why? Look at what my heart wants. Look at what is growing there. How in the world could that grow in my heart if not for God? So he says, if these things are evidence of that, he says, then you should work diligently. You should desire, you should be like, you know, like I remember when I was a kid and I first heard that talking to plants made them grow. Uh, and I remember I got a plant and I, I know it's amazing to think that I could talk a lot. Uh, I talked to that. Imagine if, if instead of talking to everybody, I just talked to one plant. I mean, like you, you had a botanical garden. Uh, that plant was green. Uh, and I talked and talked to that thing to see. I wanted to see it grow because I knew the, what the growth meant. Listen, if this growth is a sign that you've indeed been saved, he said, why you would diligently long to see these things. You would diligently long to see these things in your life and increasing. This passage sounds very familiar to a passage we've mentioned several times in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved brother or my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, which is going to be, I mean, talk about a parallel with what Peter's about to say. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So work out your salvation. Get these things to work. Don't let your work be. So this is the opposite of the word work when it said uh, uh, ineffective. Here's the opposite of that. Get these things to work. Why? He says, because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he says, look, you should long to work out your salvation because if you're working out your salvation, that demonstrates that God's at work in you. Because he realizes, uh, Paul says here, you got to realize that you'll never have the will and you'll never have the work on your own. So when the Bible says get to work, it's not a works-based salvation. It's a salvation-based work. It's saying we don't work in order to be saved, but our working shows that we're indeed saved. To, To steal from the book of Proverbs, there are no sluggards in the kingdom of God, only ants. So he says, look, if these things confirm your calling and your election and you've wondered about that, well, I, 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 can get, I can't save myself. So, so I, God, God has to call me. I've got to be predestined. I've got to be elected. How do I know if I am? Is it behind my ear? You know, is there some symbol? Do I get a card? And he says, you want to know if you've been saved? Look at your life. Is there fruit coming from your once dead heart? And is that fruit increasing? It only happens by God. So every time you're like, man, I wonder, am I saved or am I not? And you want that assurance. The Bible says, look, get to work. Get to work. And that fruit will grow. And if you're a believer, that fruit will grow and it'll increase and you won't be frustrated and you'll see God doing what he says he does in his children and you'll be getting to work and those things will be happening and you won't go, look at how great I am. Those things will be growing and you'll be going, can you look at what God is doing? 
Look at what he's done. He's, he's growing. There'll be no pride in that. It will only be humility as God does in you what there's no way you would have the will or work to do on your own. So in light of that, Peter and Paul, they both say, get to work. Work out your salvation. Get to work. He says, because if you practice these qualities, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. A couple things about this statement, because you look at that, you might go, what does that mean? It could mean uh, that you will never stumble in your Christian life. That word there for fall is a word that is only used a couple times in Scripture. And both of the other times, it could possibly be talking about Christians who are struggling with their sin. Uh, so it could be being used that way. Uh, certainly wouldn't be against Scripture to see that. Now, I think con- context which is also important, right? Words don't exist outside of context. Context seems to imply that what he's talking about here is that you won't fall away from the faith. Right? You won't fall and find yourself, you know, you were walking and you stepped off the precipice. And you went to have a, a single way he's talking about, a sure footing. So if you have a sure footing, you won't have a falling. So this is very much about a picture of feet. So if you're trying to get a, the, the imagery that Peter's using here, he's using a walking, stepping, tripping, falling metaphor for your life. He says, look, if you, if you see these things, you'll be firm in your faith. You'll know you're a believer and you won't fall. And the idea being you won't fall to your own, your own demise, uh, your uh, spiritual death. That's similar to what Jesus said in the parable of the soils when he said, if these things are in your life and not drying up, but increasing, it shows you that God has changed the soil of your heart. So you don't have to worry about falling. It shows that your heart's been changed. God has saved you. The soil's changed. Now, what it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say that these things keep you from falling away. I think that's important for us to remember. It doesn't say these things keep you from falling away. This doesn't mean that that doing these things keeps you saved. It says if these things are in your life, you will never fall. Now, what does that mean? What it's saying is, it's saying that you won't fall because if these things are there, then God is there. And and that shows that you are God's and God will not let his sheep fall away. So the assurance is not, well, you get these things and these things keep you from being, from falling away from the faith. He says, look, if you have these things, they show that God and God will not let you fall away. They show that your heart's been changed, that you are God's child and he does not let his sheep fall away. But these things aren't just protection against the bad. They are also assurances of the good. So look at what he says in verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So not only do these things, so last time you have a, you'll have a place for your foot, you're not going to stumble, you're not going to fall. Not only will you not fall, you're going to see that you're going to take those steps right into the eternal kingdom. That these qualities are a sure sign that you will find entrance into the new heavens and the new earth. And notice what it says. And that provision is going to be a rich one. Richly provided for you. Christians too often, and, and it's probably pastor's fault because almost everything is pastor's fault. Christians too often see themselves as getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth. 
you know, say things like, I just hope that he says to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so they, they, they are subtly implying that their entrance into heaven is about their work, not Christ's. And that is not the case. To think that you get into heaven by a hair is to diminish the work of Christ. So he says, look, if these things are growing in your life, this is richly providing a way for you to get into the kingdom. You, I mean, think, what Christ has done is real. You have been changed. You are righteous. You are holy. These are all words that God uses to describe you. You are his child. You belong 100% now in that kingdom because of Christ. That's how much Christ has changed you. That's how fully and completely and effective his salvation is. And it's the fruits in your life that are a demonstration of just how effective the work of Christ is. Because you are saved, saved so much that you're a new creation. Such a new creation that God can grow fruit out of what was once just dead stone. That's how much you've been saved. That's how much God has done for you. This is not a rose in the concrete. This is a garden out of the stone. In fact... These traits are signs that not only will you enter the kingdom, but you've already entered it as as a citizen already. Verse 4 told us that we've already escaped from the corruption of this world. Back in 1 Peter, he says that we've been saved from the darkness, called out of darkness into his marvelous light, where we've been made his people now. That happens because God has taken us from this fallen kingdom and moved our citizenship to his kingdom. So we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, what? To the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom that Peter just talked about, the the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says he has already delivered us from that darkness and transferred us to Christ's kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are citizens in that kingdom now. Christ's authority over heaven and earth is true. Now we wait for his kingdom to come. That's what we wait for. But as we wait, as we journey, as we, you know, like Abraham sort of pilgrimage toward that new country, God is supplying us, he says, the whole way. We are being richly provided for as we walk through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. We are not going to find ourselves walking with this sure footing in this fallen world and find ourselves getting to to the entrance of the kingdom and we've run out of bread along the way. We ran out of water, you know, three years into it. That God richly provides for his people. And, and it, what's amazing, the provision, you can totally go back to that picture of the people in the wilderness, it, the provision of God as they head toward the promised land. What's crazy now is now the manna doesn't fall from heaven. Now the manna springs from our hearts. Now the water flows from the rock that was Christ, now flows from the rock that was once our dead heart. God is richly providing for us through the wilderness, out of what was once wilderness. 
this ever-growing grace of God in our lives is part of him guiding us to our eternal home. Calvin says, God, by ever supplying you abundantly with new graces, is leading you to his own kingdom. What a picture of a shepherd. Guiding his people through the valley of the shadow of death. He is constantly ever supplying you with new graces. Giving you fruit, increasing those fruit, calling you on. We might look to the kingdom with hope. But, but it is not a mindless hope. So when we wait for our eternal life and we say, I'm going to heaven when we die. There are some people, it's a mindless hope of heaven. Because they just kind of assumed they're going to heaven. It's a foolish hope because the person who told them about heaven also told them other things about those who go there. Uh, and they listened to none of that. Uh, but just listened to the idea that there is a heaven. And they've, marked their, you know, they've taken the ticket like the person getting on the train who just like took a piece of paper and said, to heaven. Here's my ticket, sir. But for us, it's not a mindless hope. And it, it's not a, it is not a faith without sight. Because God's continued grace in our life His constant pruning and leading our growing in holiness and righteousness and sanctification in in godliness and in godwardness are all fruits of that promise. They are all signs that the promise is real. That we can await for new heavens and a new earth, a place, as Peter's going to tell us, where righteousness reigns. And I know that's going to happen. Why? Because, of course, it can happen all over the earth. It's already started happening here. Because this was not a place where righteousness reigns. And yet now I find myself, as, as Paul says, a slave to righteousness. How can that be? By the work of God. How can this world grow fruits for God's glory? It's so broken. It's so fallen. It's, Peter's already said it's a corrupt world full of sinful desires. How's it ever going to get good? Well, you can know that it is. Because that's already started to happen in his image bearers. In his children. As the first signs of the kingdom are already sprouting and they're sprouting in us. So God, our shepherd, is leading us to the kingdom of his son by making us more and more like our, his son in our life. So what do we do with those truths? Well, yep. We remind ourselves and each other about those things every day. We've seen the negative. We've seen the positive. What do you do with that? And this was going to be a whole nother sermon, but I thought this is the application to the points. Why, why have a whole nother sermon on the application when we just did the thing? Look at what he says in, in verse 12. He says, therefore, if those things are true, he says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says his job is to remind these people of these truths, of that list, of those things and what they mean, what not having them means, to remind them over and over. He says, even though he knows that they know them, even though I know that you know, and not just know them, but that you are established in them, that you have a firm foot. I know that you've got these things already growing in your heart. I know that they're, and I know they're increasing, but I'm still going to talk to you about them. Let that be encouragement to what we should do for each other. You should talk about the fruit that we should see in each other's lives, even when you see that fruit in each other's lives. Don't just talk about the fruit that needs to be there when someone is, is dealing with the fruit that's not there. 
Be encouraging each other to these things, even if you already see these things. Now, you have to be able to do that and you have to be able to take that. Like if someone comes up and encourages you to Godwardness, they're not implying that you're not Godward. Which is what we do. When someone comes up and says, I've been reading this and I just thought you'd be real encouraged by that. You're like, oh, why? Why would you think I would need to hear about that? Uh, I don't know. I just thought you loved Jesus. Well, I do. That's why I don't need to hear about that. Uh, No. Peter says, look, you know these things. You're established in them. So what has God given me to do? To remind you of them over and over. To remind you of these things. To remind you of these qualities. Always, always to remind you of these. And that is our job. I mean, that's, that's Zach and my job. That is our job. Not to teach new things. But to remind you of what you already know. What God has already taught you. It was so important that Peter says it was worth the rest of his life to do this. Look at what he says in verse 13. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So Peter knows he's about to die. Peter knows he's about to die, that he's about to put off his body and do so soon. So what task does God lay on his heart? Notice, he doesn't give Peter something new to say before he goes away. Peter, I've got to give you something new before that. I've got to give him something new. What task does he give Peter? Remind them. Remind them over and over of the things they already know, Peter. I can see Peter wanting a fresh word from the Lord. A new word from God. Peter says, here's your word. Remind them. Remind them of what they know. Why? Why does God say to remind them? He says, because it's the remembering that stirs us up. Now, that word stirs us up is not the word you get like coffee stirring. This word stirs up, literally, it's the combination of the words up and wake. We say, wake up. It's the word used by, remember the disciples during the storm when Jesus was asleep? It says they went to do this to him, to stir him up, (laughs) to wake him up. That these words, Peter says, these things, remembering these things, they serve as a wake-up call to believers. They stir us. They make us wake up from our slumber. And if these verses have convicted you, let them serve that purpose in your heart. They're supposed to. They're supposed to stir up to awaken these believers who Peter says know and are established in them. Yet he's expecting them to stir them up. Meaning what? That if you have these things, you'll want them more. And if you don't, it will wake you up to getting them. For many of you, these, these verses need to be a wake-up call to you. Because in, in looking at these words, you haven't made every effort. You've been lazy. Just even in the last couple of months. Even the amount of time we've looked at this list. I'm not even talking about in the last years. Some of us have been lazy for years now. Months. I'll I'll take it easy on you. Months at least. And you know it. And you say, golly, I really need to do better. Then here you've got three times in these verses, Peter repeats that word, that call, get to work and do so quickly. And we look and go, yeah, I need to. But uh, 
Let these things wake you up. By way of reminder of what you already know before you find yourself stepping off a cliff that you saw coming the whole time. And you wonder why you may not stumble in the eternal sense, but your life is certainly not where you thought it would be. And it's because you've been sleeping through it for a while now. And God has these words saying, wake up, wake up, get to work. And you're sitting on the couch unemployed. And just like the fool in Proverbs, you don't even have any bread to put to your mouth. And your spiritual life is wasting away and your days are wasting away. And you want to know why? And God says, get to work. Some of you need to wake up if you're going to get to work. You've been sleeping. You've been slumbering. You've been rolling over in the bed of your Christian life. And you know it. And you've hit the snooze button on your spiritual walk quite a few times. And God convicts you and you go, all right, let's do it. And then you get mad again. And then you're unkind. And you're not loving. You're not disciplined. You're not seeking knowledge. You're not pursuing the excellent. You're not doing any of these things. Snooze. I'll wake up next time. Next time comes snooze. And you wonder why your life is not where it needs to be. God says, look, let these things be a wake up call to you. And if you're a believer who who these things are not where they need to be, even if you're a believer where these things are where they need to be, he says, these things will stir you up. They will stir you up. And this verse is so helpful. It's also helpful because so many times as Christians, I think we think we need to learn something new, some new truth. We need a, a, a new word. Every, anytime I turn on a TV show, it's a religious program. Well, normally I turn it off anyway. Uh, but if they say, this is a new, I've got a new word from the Lord, I said, well, I just got one too, the off button. Whoop. Some new insight, some new, th- I got, it's always something new to light the fires of our hearts, right? Because this old thing can't do it. So what we need is we need some new experience with God. We need some, we need like our own burning bush or we need God to speak to us to, to some new way. And then, you know, then, then our faith will shine. Then we'll be stirred up. But that's not the case. The Bible says what we need to do is to remember, to be reminded of what we already know. And in fact, some of our pursuing of a new thing is a passive-aggressive way to be toward God to not pursue what he's already told us. Because that was tough, and that was hard. I don't want to do that. Give me something new that just tickles me, and I like it. Didn't, that I can get excited about, because that would have taken discipline. And I know you put that in the list, but it's just one out of seven, right? What does Peter do to stir them up? He doesn't say he's got a new word from the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything new. He says, what I, what I, the new word I do have is remember. Remind them. So as Christians, we don't need something new. What we need to do is wake up. To brush the crust off our eyes, to wipe the dust off our Bibles, we need to remember. This verse reminded me of Deuteronomy 29.29. We know Deuteronomy 29, 29. At least we know the first part of it, right? 
Someone said, quote, Deuteronomy 29, 29. People will often say, yeah, I can quote that. The secret things belong to God. There's a whole other half of that verse that is really what the verse is about. So we, we know that first part, secret things belong to God. And many of us think that the key to our spiritual growth is learning some new secret thing. Right? I got to learn something new. Maybe he'll give me one of those, one of those Deuteronomy 29, 29 things. But what does it say? That's not the focus of the verse. Look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. How long? Forever. That we may do all the words of this law. We don't need a new thing. You don't need a new thing from God. You don't need a secret thing. What you need to do is to remember. And if you remember the story from Deuteronomy, I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why Moses told the Israelites to talk and talk about these things lest they what? Lest they forget. So you talk and you talk about the same things. Talk about this law over and over and over so you never forget. So how will Peter end his days? Verse 15, he says, and I'll make every effort. There's that word again. Oh, I'll make every effort. Peter's told us to make every effort. Now he's making every effort. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. When I I weigh my legacy in this church, when Zach looks at his legacy in this church, when we look at what we've done as pastors, who we are as a church, what we've formed here for God's glory, my question is, what will they do when I'm gone? What will they do when I'm not there? And that's what Peter was wanting. I want you to so know these things that you'll still do them when I'm not there to remind you of them. That you'll still remember when I don't have to be there and say, hey, remember these things. And Peter hopes that they can recall them at any time. He says that you may at any time recall these things. That no matter what they're going through, whether joy or pain, they'll remember these things. So ingrained in them that nothing can cause them to forget them. They don't need to be reminded. They can't forget. He wants it to be like that song that they can't get out of their heads. And let me tell you, parents or pastors or anyone who's leading anybody in anything spiritually, that's the mark. That's the goal. To make every effort to get to work and to get to work quickly because you're about to be gone. All of us. Peter said, I got to do this quickly because Christ told me I was going to, my end was coming soon. Guess what? He's told all of us that. Man, you heard that on Tuesday. We heard that on Tuesday morning. That call to get get these things going. You got to get to work. The end is coming soon. So get to work. And Christ has told all of it. Just like Peter, our time is short. So get to work. Husbands, husband, you've been given a job from the Lord that your job in this life is to shepherd your wife, to spend your days washing her with the water of the word and your time on earth is short. You ain't got much more time to do that, to fulfill your purpose in your marriage. That's your job that the, that the Lord gave you. 
and your time with your wife is short and you're going to be before the Lord your God who gave you this soul as a helpmeet and you wasted it, you wasted it, you didn't wake up. And your time is short. And you're like, well, when I was thinking about marriage, we were going to do this, we are going to read the Bible together, we were going to pray together, and our home was going to be this, and you're not doing that. And your home is suffering for it. Your time is short. Get to work. Because it'll be over soon. And everything you thought you'd do, everything you said you'd do, everything you intended to do, will be gone. The weeds will still be there but not the fruit. Parents, same thing. Fathers, fathers, your time, I'm going to double up on the men. Fathers, your time, the chief responsibility is yours. Father, your time with your children is short. They'll be gone soon. You know it. You talk about it. I can't believe they're this age already. Well, you know what's going to happen next year? You won't be able to believe that then either. And then they'll be out of the home and you'll be like, I can't believe we never did what I thought we were going to do. And so you have every intention to, to teach them these things. Make sure that when you're not there, you've taught them so much that they'll be able to remember, that they'll be able to recall what you told them over and over and over. And that they can recall these things no matter what they're going through because they'll go through these things without you there. And so when they go through, like Peter, when your kids are going through things without you there, make sure that you, like Peter, have so drilled these truths into their heads that they'll remember them, even when dad's not there to talk to them about it. And so they've got a choice to make, whether to pursue sin or to pursue righteousness. And they go, you know what? My dad always chose to pursue righteousness. And he always taught us to do the same. He told us over and over that only a fool pursues sin. And then he showed us wisdom by living out that in his life. And then he talked to us about things. He was talking to us all the time. When we sat down and when we rose up, it's like he was believing what the Bible said he should do. And he was doing, he was always talking about it. You know what I can't get out of my head when something comes up? I can't get out what he told me to remember. Because he drilled it into my head. And you're, you're drilling something into your kids' heads by the way you live. You're teaching them something's important. You're teaching them something that they will never forget. Ever. Make sure it's the right thing. Because pretty soon they'll be gone. You'll be gone. Then you won't have the chance to fix it. And you'll have missed one of the greatest blessings that God has given to humanity. The chance to take a soul and to point it toward the Lord. From the moment it's there. To point its face Godward. And you wasted it. That's why the Bible tells us to talk about these things. To wake up. And let these things set in our hearts. Like a cement foundation. So let's wrap up this first section here. God has saved us. He's given everything we need for a Godward life. So we need to get these tools, these fruits to work and do so quickly. Why? Because these fruits are our assurance. They're proof that we're on our way to the kingdom, that we're true citizens and we need to be stirred up. And how is the Christian stirred up? By remembering, by having these things so ingrained in our hearts and heads that we can recall them at any time that we never forget. 
So let's pray for that very thing right now. My prayer is that we've all been stirred up, that we've all been uh, awoken. Some of us from slumber, some of us uh, just with a, a new desire to pursue these things even more. So I've got a few things for us to pray before we pray together. One, I want you to just thank God for his salvation. Remember, that's how it started out, that you'll get to work because God's salvation is so great. So one, just just make sure your heart is there. Make sure that you're thanking God for what he's done. So just thank God that he has saved you, that he's given you faith, that he's gifted you with everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you his precious and very great promises. Thank God for those things. And say, God, I want to love your salvation. I want to cherish it more. Now, pray that you would see these fruits growing from your heart. Your heart that was once dead stone. Pray that you would see that. Because you know only God can do it. So get to work. And the first step in getting to work is praying. Saying, God, please grow these things. Because only you can. So ask God to do that. And if you're uh, convicted or he's stirring you up or awakening to something that needs to be there more, pray that he would give you the conviction to urgently pursue that, to not put it on the shelf and say, I'll get to it. Because you know what? You've probably put it on the shelf a few times already. Probably even in the last few weeks that we've been looking at these. And so pray, pray for your sense of urgency. Pray for haste. And then pray that God would stir you up by helping you remember. To remember what he's done. To remember what he's taught you. To remember the joy. The joy that you have when you do see these fruits in your life. The absolute joy of growing in Christlikeness. <laughs> That's why only a fool wouldn't be stirred up to pursue these even more. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for these truths, this word. We thank you for helping us to remember. Father, I pray that you would awaken us where we need it, that we would cherish these things because we cherish you and and we would see you at work in our lives and that that would give us confirmation assurance of what you've done in us that all of this goes back to your work and that we're able to work because you have worked and are at work in us and you will be at work in us every day as you richly provide for us on the way to the kingdom so thank you father i pray our lives would be changed because of what we've seen from you and what you've called us to may we never forget may we remember these things at all times And may we remind each other of them along the way. Pilgrims progressing to the same kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.